good morning again. We have we are here for a second week running, although it seems to be a lot quieter this week. We don't have the tornadoes around us today. That's good, that's good. At least we know we've got this as an option. Uh, they've repolished the floor over there, it looks nice and shiny and new. I'm not sure how long that's going to last over there, but for the moment we'll uh, make sure we take advantage of it for the next uh, few months. <clears throat> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. We're going to look at our uh, continued look at the end times, although I'm taking a bit of a detour from Revelation today. Sticking with this theme of uh, the watchman and, and watching what's happening in our society. Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 to verse 39. Jesus told his disciples, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your precious word with us this morning, the word that we can rely on, the foundation for our very lives. We thank you that you have inspired your prophets and your holy men to, to write down these words as an example to us, so we may learn about, about who you are and what you would have us to do. I ask this morning that your spirit would teach us your truth, that I'd simply be used as a vessel, Lord, to, uh, to proclaim your truth and that our hearts may be open to it. Lord, may your name be glorified through the preaching this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. been looking at last, I mean, for two months now, I think it is, the end times. And look, the culmination at the end will be the return of Jesus to this earth. Okay? And I think I asked uh, most of you last week, I, I asked, I posed the question, who believes we're in the final days or the end days? And most of us put up our hands very quickly saying, well, from what we see around us, things are looking a little bit that way. Probably a lot that way. The culmination of the end of, of the days of this earth is the return of Jesus to this earth um, physically, and there is going to be one almighty war that's going to take place, and Jesus will, after that war, which won't be too long, by the way, um, will rule for a thousand years on this earth. It will be a terrible time. It won't be a good time when Jesus returns. You see, the first time he came, he came to rescue men, he came to save them. When he comes back again, it's going to be like Noah's days. There will be a flood. The problem is, it's not going to be a flood of water, there will be a flood of fire, literally. And many millions, if not billions, will lose their lives. And Jesus taught his disciples that 
the days when he returns, the days when he is going to come back in glory to judge this earth will be very similar. The society will be very similar to the days when Noah was around, when people were doing exactly the same thing. So what we're going to do today is compare the days of Noah with our days. We're going we're gonna to just compare those two and have a look and see where's this world at. The return of Jesus will come upon this world very suddenly, just as the flood did. They didn't expect it, mind you. They had 120 years of being warned about it, and the Bible says that they knew not until the flood came. Which is strange, isn't it? Because they were warned about it. Mind you, there was a guy building a big boat, and they probably would have had tours to go and see this guy and, and ridicule him and make fun of him. As well, so they all knew that there was something about to happen, they just didn't believe it. The Lord compares the character of those days to our days and the time of His return. Therefore, there's something we can definitely learn about our time today with the way life was back then. Man essentially hasn't changed. Are you surprised? Nothing to be surprised about. Man doesn't change. We may be more technologically advanced. We may think ourselves more civilized. We may, you know, look at our wonderful achievements in this world and say, oh, look, you know, look at the wonderful things we have and scratch the surface a bit and you'll find that things are exactly the same. The veneer is different. There's a different color to it, but it's all essentially the same. Man hasn't changed. Peter called the days of Noah a time of God's long suffering. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. First Peter chapter 3 verse 20 tells us, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight, souls were saved by water. Now, <clears throat> these days are very similar to those days from the point of view that God allowed Noah 120 years to build that boat. Those 120 years were an opportunity for men to be what? Saved. So God was, the Bible says, He's long-suffering, which is what? Another word for patience was waiting. So God's patience was waiting. So He was holding back. He was giving man an opportunity to repent, to turn to Him. And we all know that after 120 years of preaching... No one repented. But God gave mankind an opportunity. Those days, Noah's days, were a time of deliverance. They were a time for, for salvation. They were a time that God was preparing to save people. 
and he was using a godly man and his family to do just that. They had every opportunity to jump on board. The Bible says they chose not to. So as we look, as we look at our days, as we look at these days, we are, you may say, in the same boat. And we literally are in the same boat. Because the ark was a picture of Christ. And, and God is giving mankind, once again, an opportunity to get on board. And the, the door's still open, he hasn't closed it yet, and Jesus is still there waiting. And we've been called to preach the gospel to this world and to share what we know with them. Let's look at some of the, uh, some of the characteristics of those days. Um, we know that those days, Noah's days, were very evil days. Why do we know it? Because God was about to destroy a whole world because of it. They were evil days. Turn to Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 and we'll look at the, one of the first things that was, uh, or the, one of the things that really stands out in terms of the, the, uh, the evil of that generation and that is marriage. Genesis 6 1 says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Okay, what does that mean? That is a very, see that the passage I just read to you is a very contentious passage for scholars. Okay. Because you can interpret a number of different ways. And the reason is how you translate the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Who are the daughters of men? Now, uh, many scholars uh, would, would go along the lines, the sons of God are from the godly line. You see there is, remember Cain and Abel? There were two lines, they say, two predominant lines of mankind. Seth's line being the godly line, through whom uh, Noah came, through whom the godly line was preserved. The rest of mankind are seen as, as evil and, and they became um, uh, degenerate. So the sons of God, many scholars say, are the sons of those godly line. And the problem here was that they chose the ungodly women to marry. So therefore, they were corrupting their own line. They intermarried, and God had the same problem with the Jews. He told them not to intermarry with the other people because they're going to cause a stumbling block for themselves. And what did they do? They went and intermarried all different other, other, other nationalities with different gods and everything else, and that caused all types of problems. Today is not a different scenario because God does. God warns the believer about marrying a non-believer. The Bible simply says, makes makes statements like, you know, what does light have to do with darkness? Why would you want to be? The Bible says unequally yoked, which means and that's a very simple phrase. When they used to plough a field, they used to have two oxen at the front, 
and those oxen had to be roughly the same size, used to put a thing over their, their, their shoulders, and as they used to pull, the fellow behind used to have the, this thing which is to dig the ground as it went along. Doing it by hand is a very hard job, but as, they, as, as men ploughed fields, they, they found that, that bulls and, and, and those sorts of animals were very good at pulling things along, making, making life very simple and very easy. The Bible simply says, don't yoke, don't tie up a, a, a big animal with a small animal. You can't do that. You can't have a goat pulling, pulling the, same, the same thing as a, uh, a plough as, a, as, a, as an ox. It ain't going to work. You have to have the same two types of animals. And the Bible uses that as an illustration for us as believers to say, if you're a believer, don't get tied up with a non-believer. Because if you get tied up with a non-believer, you are asking for trouble. Because you are going to be going in two different directions. One's going to be pulling one way, and the other one's going to be pulling another way. And eventually you're going to find yourself either, if you're a believer, compromising God's word, which you will. It's inevitable. You have to compromise God's word, which means you are going backwards. The only hope you have is that you may convert your partner later on. But that there is no guarantee of that either. So in most cases, believers who marry non-believers end up going backwards. That's one view. The other view is that the sons of God are the angels. Now you're going to say, oh, hang on a second there. Angels? Angels are in heaven. Well, not all of them. There are some angels who fell and spent a fair bit of time on the earth doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And the sons of God, if you look at the term sons of God in the Old Testament, it nearly always refers to angels. So, okay. Uh, what was going on? Well, some people say that either these angels possessed men they possessed ungodly men and lived their lives through them. Or they literally took on physical form. Okay? Either way, either way, the inference here is that marriage, which is the union between man and a woman for a lifetime, was not being followed. You see, they took as many wives as they liked. Polygamy is not the biblical way God wants, wants marriage to exist. They were doing things that weren't right. And marriage is the first thing that was abused in those days. If you look at verse 4 from chapter 6, it says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown okay the giants there were giants we know there were giants um, and I don't know whether those giants were as a result of the offspring of angels and men or they were giants because they were literally just big, big people. Or they were also giants because they were infamous or famous. Um, the 
what that leads to is this is if there were giants or literal figures that were men of renown they were famous sort of people it's because they ended up ruling the people of this earth they became the rulers and the next thing we notice apart from marriage being defiled by man in those days it's that the wicked ruled those men whether they were evil men who were inspired or possessed by demons who then uh, went and married women and, and corrupted most of mankind became the bible says the rulers of men they became men of renown that was they were looked up to the wicked ruled in those days and it was literally uh, might makes right And as a result of might making right, the bigger you were, the, uh, the, the more possibility you had of ruling other men, um, violence also prevailed. So we have the marriage, marriage being defiled, we have evil rulers, people who are evil in, in places of authority, and as a result of them being in authority, violence was rampant in the world in genesis chapter 6 verse 11 it says the earth also was corrupt before god and the earth was filled with violence and we probably have a problem in melbourne don't we at the moment with uh, that sort of thing where where people drink a little bit too much alcohol and they and they go and cause a whole lot of problems and people are getting bashed and, and everything else man hasn't changed Man has not changed essentially from those days. They were getting probably drunk and they were doing whatever, whatever else uh, that men are doing today. And you know something? It was a stronger, more dominant, more vicious ones that took the lead that other men followed. You see this, we've had experience of this, in the school ground. In the school grounds. Most of you know. The bullies... Let me ask you a question. Are the bullies in school normally the ones who are shunned by all the other kids or are they in general the ones that, that little kids look up to because they're tougher it's that way isn't it bullies in school who love to have a following people who are the power hungry and need to display that power on other people love to have a following and there will always be a willing crowd for them it starts off from a very young age and, and and doesn't finish sometimes in this particular case there were particular individuals who were very strong and I, one, one case in point which came up even after the flood was nimrod okay nimrod the bible calls a mighty hunter before the lord and this guy wanted to build himself a city in the Tower of Babel. He wanted to be the ruler of all men. and Men still followed. After the flood, men were still the same. God did save a godly, godly family, but how long did it take for them to become corrupted again? Not long. Just a few generations. So violence was prevalent on the earth. Murder was prevalent. Murder was very common in those days. And the reason murder was so common is that men had no respect for other men. Men did not see the image of God in other men anymore. That was wiped off. 
because they had a, a, a total disregard for God, they disregarded the fact that man was created in God's image and man finds his worth because he is in God's image. Turn to chapter 9 in Genesis. Because God had to make some new rules. Genesis 9, uh, Genesis 9 chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. And surely your, your blood, this is God speaking, of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require, acquire it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made man. God made man in his image. You know what, what gives us our inherent worth? Is that God made us in his image. Yes, that image is marred at the moment, but there is still a semblance there. When men see each other as, okay, what's your other option? If you don't see, if you don't see man as in the image of God, what's the other option you've got to see men as? As, as they're seen today. Animals. We're only advanced animals according to evolution today. So if I only see you as an animal, and, and the law of evolution says what? The survival of the fittest, then open slather, as they say. There is nothing in you that I need to respect, that I need to uphold, that I need to see of any value because you, if you're in my way, you need to be taken out of the way. Men had lost the concept of God's image being on man. The Bible says that men were corrupt. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 12 it says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, rotten to the core. It had become rotten, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. All flesh had become corrupted, just like an apple when it goes off. That's how God saw man. Rotten. What can you do with an apple once it's rotten? Can you restore it back to... No, you can't. It was rotten to the core. The Bible then says that evil men wax worse and worse. And now we're getting worse and worse. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. It says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, once the corruption starts, the rule is that the corruption spreads. It, it's very hard to contain anymore. That's why when, when, when people get cancer, they have to cut it out because cancer will continue to grow and corrupt everything else in that in that body mankind had become corrupt and not only corrupt but it had because of the principle that that evil becomes worse and worse they had reached the limit they had gone right to the edge of, of how evil they could have become and God said it was time to destroy that world. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 
Second Peter chapter two verse four says, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly." The ungodly are those that have chosen to reject God. They have rejected the knowledge of God. God, the Bible says, gives them over to a reprobate mind because they... they... Let, me give you, let me give you a principle. Okay? The Bible says if you reject the knowledge of God, God will allow you to become more and more reprobate in your thinking. You see, there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit today restrains the evil of this world. The Holy Spirit stops people from being as evil as they can. There is some sense in which God holds back the evil. He doesn't allow people to, be as, to become as evil as they possibly can. That's the grace of God, even in the unbelievers. But the Bible says that when a person is adamant that he will reject the God of this world, then God says, okay, I'll let you go. I will let you uh, receive the fruits of your, of your thinking. And God allows their mind to go into all types of places. And we find that they become more and more reprobate. Spend some time in the book of Romans and you'll see exactly the way God explains that. The Bible says that this generation here in Noah's days rejected God, rejected his knowledge, and rather chose to be gods themselves. They chose to be their own authority, their own um, uh, power, and they wanted that power to display it, and they ended up killing each other because of it. So God brought the world, brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and you know something? God was grieved. He wasn't happy he was doing that. There wasn't a sense in which God was happy that he was just getting rid of this, this, these uh, misfits, these people that just rejected him. God, I don't think, smiled. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I find that absolutely amazing. But the God of this universe, with ultimate power, can be grieved. That's incredible, isn't it? Think about it. If you were God, would you allow yourself to be grieved? I wouldn't. Why would I allow these this bunch of people over here who are who are denying my very existence to cause me to grieve, to cause me to get upset? The Bible says that God was upset. He was grieved. He was sad in his own heart. And the Bible says that he repented. It repented him that he, he made men on the earth. God was remorseful. Alright, so that's the situation. That's where, that's where we're at in, in Noah's days. Good picture? Not a very good picture at all. The Bible then says that these were very dark days. In, if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God commissioned Noah 
to preach to mankind for 120 years. That's a long job. That's a big job, isn't it? At the same time, you have to build a boat. That's, that's a big job. But the point is that while Noah preached, men rejected. So they rejected his word. That was the flavour of the day. The rejection of God's word, the rejection of God's salvation, the rejection of his grace. Men were disobedient and ungodly. Sin reigned in the world and there were very few righteous men in the world. In fact, there were only four righteous men in the world and there were eight altogether, men and female, male and female. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. God had made provision for many more to be saved, but there, were only, there was only one family that was righteous in those days. Unfortunately for the rest of them, they were appointed for destruction. Genesis chapter 6 verse 17 says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life, from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Everything with the breath of life was gone, except for those that were on the ark. Turn with me back to 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 9 to explain how trying these times actually were. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 9. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelleth among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the, un the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. The God knows how to do that. If there's anything that, that, that we know, is that not only can God can save man, but he can preserve man. Another thing we know is that when man chooses not to be saved, God can choose to have him destroyed. These were very trying times for godly people. You see, the people were indifferent. They didn't care. The Bible says, if we, if we go back to the beginning, that they knew not until the flood came. And, and the, the, the biggest question is, how didn't they know that a flood was coming? Well, they did know that a flood was coming. It was told to them that a flood was coming. They just didn't care. They didn't care at all. That's why Matthew 24, 38 says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. After 120 years of preaching, they did not know what was about to take place. 
Turn to Luke chapter 21 verse 34. Why did they not listen? Why did they not care? Why did they not take heed? The basic answer is they were so concerned with themselves and what they were doing. They, they loved themselves and their lifestyle so much they did not care about listening to no one. That's why Luke warns us in chapter 21 verse 34 and take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with, with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unaware. For as a snare shall it come upon shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There is a warning there. And the warning is, don't let your heart be so filled up with the things of this world that you stop watching, that you stop praying, that you're so concerned about your life now that you forget about your life later on. It was an interesting conversation we had with Eddie the other day. And we're reading about a, a book about, um, I think it was homeschooling. And uh, this particular author made a, a very interesting comment. He goes, there are is, there is basically only two paths a person can take. One, the first path is if the person believes in an almighty God who will judge the living and the dead and that there is an eternity after this lifetime. Okay? What that does is that makes this life, these 60, 70, 80 years, a preparation for the next, correct? It makes this small amount of time we've got here a preparation for an eternity after, okay? So therefore, your actions, your thoughts, your deeds, whatever you do, the words you say, will be in that context, or we made in that context. In other words, the thought of eternity, the thought of God judging me, the thought that I will one day stand before the Son of Man to be judged, will influence everything in my life. Not just once a week coming to church, not just once a day I might read my Bible, but every moment, won't it? It makes sense that every moment of your life will be governed by eternity, the thought of eternity. So man, man's whole, the way you live your life will be based on what God wants you to do. What the being who sits outside of eternity, what, what he wants you to do and what he's told us to do in this. Because that's the only way we know what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Outside of that, it's all guesswork. So you're either in that camp there and your life is governed by, the, by eternal laws that are outside of mankind's making. Alternatively, if you don't believe in God, what are you governed by? 
Well, the only other main philosophy I know about the existence of, of, of men and animals and everything else is evolution. So you believe that that man is basically uh, just a smarter animal um, and you believe in uh, the survival of the fittest and you don't believe in an afterlife. So therefore, what are your thoughts, what are your actions going to align themselves to? That's your worldview. Will you necessarily live a life that's holy and pure and, and, and you're not going to lie and cheat and steal and do anything? Why would you? Why wouldn't you? What are you governed by? The only thing you can be governed by is what society tells you to do. Correct? And you might say to yourself, well, you know, I want to follow what society tells me. But then again, hang on a sec, I've only got a few years to live here. If society tells me not to do something and I want to, and I believe it's for, it's for my good, my enjoyment, then why should I even follow society? Who's society to tell me? what to do and what not to do. Ultimately, the foundation is really yourself. You are your own law maker. You decide what's good for you and you can't really decide what's good for anyone else. You see, when, it's, when it comes down to the survival of the fittest, you have no right to tell me what to do. And I have absolutely no right to tell you what to do. Why? Because we are all animals at the end of the day and everyone's got to make their own way in life and I've got every right to fight for what I think is going to make me happy. Amen. I've only got 70 years to live. I'm not going to waste my time following your rules and your regulations when I know I can have a better time getting drunk and, and, and knocking off a few people along the way. I'm not going to let society slow me down. They're your two options. Take a pick. Take your pick because if you don't have the foundation of, of the Bible, if you don't have a foundation of God in your life, you are a free agent. Totally free to do whatever you like in this world. And if you come along and say, oh, but hang on a sec, isn't it right and wrong? Well, who says it's right and wrong? Who told you there's right and wrong in this world? If you're an animal, and animals have been ripping each other apart and killing each other over the millions of years, who tells you there's a right and a wrong? You? Me? Kevin Rudd? There is no. There is no right and wrong. And anyone who says, anyone who has an atheistic or uh, an evolutionary foundation in their life that comes to you and says, oh, that's wrong to do that, you say, why? Why is it wrong? Because you're living in Australia and the laws in this country say it's wrong. Well, what, why? Noah had the unenviable task of living in that sort of generation. Men who considered each other like animals. He had the unenviable task of having to build a boat that was, put yourself in this position, 450 feet long 75 feet wide and 45 feet high from wood that you had to go and chop down yourself. You had to plane it, make it straight. You then had to fit it all together, make it strong and sturdy enough to be able to carry all those animals. 450 feet long, 
It had taken me about 120 years too, probably. But at the same time, you had the task of being ridiculed while you were doing it because it had never rained before. It had never rained. <laughs> People didn't know what rain was. So they, Noah was saying, it's going to rain. Water's going to come down from the sky and from, the, from underneath and we're going to be flooded. What are you talking about, Noah? This is singers, rain. What are you talking about? So he's busy building his boat, him and his family, trying to preach to people that just did not care. And for all their effort, for 120 years of preaching, for 120 years of effort, Noah may have thought in his heart at the beginning, I'm going to build this huge boat, we're going to, have, we're going to save a whole lot of people. Huh? You know when we start a church? Think the same thing, don't you? We're going to start a church. We're going to have, you know, all these people. We're going to get them saved, and you know, we've been going for only four years now, and we have grown. Praise God, we've grown. We've seen people get saved, get baptized, and all that sort of stuff over there. But why haven't we got the multitudes over here? Because man hasn't changed. For all of Noah's efforts, he couldn't save anyone. For all of Noah's efforts, the only thing he actually achieved was to condemn the world. Think of it. His preaching, which was meant to save men, actually, in the end of the day, condemned them all. They had no excuse. They'd heard the truth and they had rejected it. Can you imagine Noah, after 120 years, running into the ark? Yeah, he's got all these animals with him but no one else listened to what he had to say and the unenviable reality would have dawned on him that all those people that he that he would have loved and he would have he would have seen saved were all going to be washed away families friends a whole lot so what's our conclusion today Let's go through this quickly and you tell me whether you think the same things are happening today. Marriage is being abused. Marriage is being abused from the top, from the, from the highest levels in our land. Marriage is being redefined in this country and in many countries to be the union between not just a man and a woman, but possibly the man between man and a man, woman and a woman, and who knows where it's going to end up. Marriage is well and truly under attack in our culture. Marriage today is not seen as a lifelong commitment anymore. It's seen as, let's give it a go. And they actually give it a go before they give it a go. Don't they? That's the standard thing. People live together, they, they try the whole thing out, then they decide to make some sort of a half-day commitment, and then they get married, and then most of them get divorced, and the whole thing just falls apart. There is no longer a commitment. Marriage has been, the foundations of marriage have well and truly been shaken and nearly destroyed. The wicked rule. Well, how many godly leaders do we have in this world today? How many decisions are made in government based on godly principles and God's word? I don't know many. In fact, we are seeing, once again, legislation coming into place all over the place that undermines God's word. 
violence prevails. Well, you know, for all of, for all of the, the, the good intentions of the United Nations in the world, people are still being massacred every day. There are more people being massacred today than at any other time in history. With all these wonderful human rights that we see going around us, people are being slaughtered like animals. Men are corrupt and corrupting. Well, I don't see men getting any better. In fact, when I look back 10 years and 20 years and I find, and I find the life that I used to live when I was younger um, a lot saner, safer and more, at least more controlled. I don't find that today. Who would let their kids play out in the front yard by themselves these days? It's, it's a pretty rare thing. Would you, I, I remember my mum used to let me play outside the front when I was you know, two years old. But these days you can't, you can't, you have to keep an eye on everything. There are plenty of evil people around the place and men are corrupting continually, getting worse and worse and worse because they've given up the idea of God. Let me ask you, is God grieved? I'd say God is grieved. I'd say God is very close to the way he was before he destroyed the world. Before, You see, God, if I were God, I would destroy this place a long time ago. I don't have his patience. 2,000 years? 2,000 years to wait for, for my son to be rejected? After I paid such a heavy price and allowed my son to go to the cross to die for these people? Then after 2,000 years, for the overwhelming majority of this world to reject that offer? I would have destroyed it a long, long time ago. But then again, we're very fortunate that I'm not God. These are dark days. The Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is a time of apostasy today. My hope is that you're here in this church because you're, you want to listen to God's word being preached. That's my hope. My hope is that you're here because you believe God wants you to be here. But I'm telling you something, that the majority of people in this world who go to church are not going for that particular reason. So the majority of people who listen to the sermons in the church are not hearing sermons from God's word. They are hearing garbage, regurgitated garbage that's been filtered through the world's philosophy, the world's uh, evil and they're moulding whatever good is in that to fit into what's acceptable to man. Useless. I may as well spend one hour watching Oprah. I may as well watch Oprah, I may as well watch Dr. Phil and get my teaching from them. Because they are going to come up with fantastic life principles that are going to help me fulfill my potential. They're going to help me deal with certain situations in my life. I may as well be listening to that because that's what's being preached from the pulpits these days. That's what they believe people want to hear. And that's exactly what God's word says. In the last days, men shall heap upon themselves plenty of teachers just to tickle these things. Just to make me feel good about myself. There's no way I want to come to church and hear about what a sinner I am and how I don't deserve to be saved and how I need to live a godly life and how I need to repent. Why would you want to come to church and hear that? It's all too hard. 
when I can go and listen to a preacher who's, who says what a wonderful individual I am and what great potential I have and if I want uh, that house on top of a hill I can just think about it and God will give it to me that God will give me perfect health and God will give me all types of things whatever I desire in my heart that's the gospel that I want to hear but what good is it to my eternal soul? Jesus says I can gain the whole world what good is it if I've lost my soul? This is a time of apostasy. Most of God's word has been rejected. Actually, uh, an interesting point of the night, he said um, uh, that even, even the most conservative preachers these days will even narrow down the fundamentals of the faith to five things. Five. I'm not sure exactly which five they're talking about. One may be that Jesus died for the sins of the world. One may be that he had a virgin birth. Another may be that he is both God and man. That sort of thing's there. And any, any ask the question, how can we? What do we do with all the rest of it? If, if those five are the only things that matter, and we can join hands with people as long as they've got those five things, we can say, yes, we're brothers and sisters now. What do we do with all the rest of the things that the Bible teaches? Do we throw it all away? That's what the world wants you to take. No. The world wants you to throw away most of God's word. The word is being rejected. Day by day, God's word is rejected. Sin is conquering the world and has conquered the world because people make decisions based on themselves, on their own pride, their own desires, their own corrupt heart, which the Bible says is corrupt above all things. There are very few righteous people in this world. If you want to count the genuine Christians that are in this world, um, hands up who thinks there are 50% of people who are Christian in this world. Or uh, let's say Australia, alright? Australia's a Christian country, right? Australia's a Christian nation. Uh, let's say 20%. Are there 20% of Christians in Australia? 10? You think maybe 10? 5? Uh, let me be uh, blunt if there is one if there is one percent which makes it how many? 200,000 now is that right? one percent is about 200,000 that would be incredible if one in a hundred were saved if, if one in a hundred were actually genuine Christians that followed God's word that were abandoned to his sovereignty in their lives, that had given themselves to his service, that would be incredible. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. The people of this world are becoming more and more indifferent to God's word. That's what Peter says. Look, 2 Peter 3.3 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then, that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Scoffers. And you know where the greatest scoffing is going to come from? Is it going to come from atheists and, and people who... No, the greatest scoffing will come from people who call themselves Christians. <coughs> and they will scoff at the ones who actually believe God's word and hold it to be true. And they will say, you guys are ridiculous. There is no literal coming of Jesus. Don't be foolish. Things have always been the same. <coughs> Christianity is just a set of principles to live by. People are indifferent and they are becoming more and more indifferent and uncaring. And the work is difficult. Just as, just as Noah had a difficulty in, in his job, is the job getting any easier today for, for you out there? <coughs> Who finds it very easier to um, preach, to share God's word? Very hard. The results are often discouraging. No one spent 120 years preaching with no results. <clears throat> we find it very difficult sometimes. The reality is sad. Just as Noah realised that most of the world would be drowned in a flood, the reality for us is also sad and the outcome is almost horrifying. But we must face the days as Noah faced them. That's our challenge today. Noah was obedient to God's word. Genesis chapter 6, 22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah, the first thing he did was obey, listen to God's word and just do it. Without questioning, without worrying. Did it make him look like a fool? Did it, was it the long way around? If God told him to do something, Noah just did it. Noah also trusted God for what he could not provide for himself. Thanks, Mary. So God, Noah followed God's word. Noah trusted God in Genesis 7.14. You can read that, but I'll, I won't bother to read it all. <clears throat> Noah was told to do a specific job, right? He was told to build an ark. Did Noah have to go out and collect all the animals? No, God brought them all in. Did Noah close the door of the ark? No, God closed the door of the ark. God will ask us to do certain things that he knows are within our abilities. And he'll empower us to do those things. Outside of that, you just trust God that he'll provide. If it's outside of your ability, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just do the things you've been called to do. Oftentimes we worry ourselves too much about what's out of our control. God never gives us more than we are able to do. By human standards, Noah, John the Baptist and Stephen were very poor preachers. Do you know that? But by divine standards, they were great men. They may not have converted multitudes, but they were great in God's eyes. Growth and success are determined by God and not by our numbers. Always remember that you and God are a majority on this earth. 
You didn't need anyone else apart from you and God. Noah was concerned for the lost and we need to be concerned for the lost. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5.19 says, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He's committed that to us. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. That's our calling in this world. We need to do what Noah did. We need to go out there and plead with people because we have been called to be the ambassadors of Christ. Are you looking forward to the day of the Lord this morning? Looking forward to it? Not some mixed emotions, huh? The Bible tells us to look forward to that day. Look forward to it. But at the same time, you don't want to see the people that you love going to hell. Paul had the same problem, didn't he? Paul said, I'd, I would rather be in heaven with Christ now, but I know it's not expedient. It's, it's, it's necessary for me to be here with you. So there's still a job to be done. Yes, we want to see the day when Jesus returns. We want to see it. But at the same time, we know it's not going to be a great thing for the people of this world. Let me, one more, one more uh, verse to read. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, and we'll close up. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. <clears throat> Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye, ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved? And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Let's stop there. Three things from that passage to take away this morning. Are you looking forward to the day of Jesus? Are you diligent? Are you being diligent to be found without spot and blemish when he comes? Are you, are you diligent in your life to make sure that you'll be pure before him? And finally, are you committed to God's long-suffering of salvation? God is a very patient God with men. Are we patient with them? We need to be patient. We need to work consistently. We need to be. We need to not pull back. We need to display God's patience in this world. Continue the work that is set before us. Looking forward to His coming. God bless you. Thank you.